Oh, oh, back to our original topic where we're discussing intuitive morality, something which is a bit of a tricky point. But we start off with, with deriving lessons from Torah-based examples, whereby the Torah says the following thing. Um, uh, as I speak again, you don't want to mention names; so it's known to incriminate people. But there's there's a connex sitting on my right hand side. We won't say which one. And I'd like to present perhaps to you the question that we had when you weren't here, which could have been basically any time until now, and that was Stoim Vamora, the sin of Stoim. What was the sin of Stoim? Interactive share. What was it? Let's, 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 someone else who remained anonymous, the anonymous demo. What was, uh, what was the sin of Stoim? Oh, they, um, they didn't have the meat of chesed. They guess. didn't have the meat of chesed. They didn't do tzedakah. Now, for not doing tzedakah, there are two problems. First of all, the severity of their punishment. Why is it so extreme? And secondly, there's a principle in Torah that you're not punished unless you're warned, which makes absolute perfect sense. You can't hold a person liable for something that they never knew they were doing anything wrong for. And therefore, since they were never told to be Baalei Chesed, seemingly, there was no, it's not one of the seven mitzvahs of B'nai Noach to be, to be a Baal Chesed, so since it wasn't enumerated as a something that they would have to abate, obey, abide to, so why is it that they were held responsible for, 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 for being lax in it? So that, with other examples, for example, the fact that Amoin and Moyav were excluded from marrying into the Jewish people, even though they converted, they would never allow to enter into, the, into a marriage of the Jewish person for all, all, all generations, for one simple error that they made back, back, back in history, that when the Jewish people came out of Mitzrayim, what were the Jewish people like when they came out of Mitzrayim? Um, well-fed. They were well-fed, they were clothed, they were, as the Pasuk says, Simnoscholoi Volsa, they, they, had, they, they were carried on this, on this virtual hovercraft throughout the Midbar. It was an amazing trip. And they were... Not that kind of trip. <laughs> Anonymous Feinberg. And they were... And they were well-fed. They had, they had manna. They had the, the greatest food and the greatest drink that one could ever fathom. And yet, when they came to Amun and Moyav, the bear Miriam. And they came to Amun and Moab, and Amun and Moab should have welcomed them with food and drink. And because they didn't, so therefore they are excluded from becoming part of the Jewish people for eternity. Why, why, why should they have done that? What were they doing? Yeah, the they're allowed to convert and just not marry? Or That's not right. Convert Sorry, they're allowed to convert, but not, not to marry a Jew. But if so they convert, are they allowed to marry a Jew? I have to deal with this. Do I have to deal with this? I'll tell you what, let's, let's, uh, we'll play a game. In Hebrew it's called Mishchak <laughs> <laughs> uh, So, no. So, <laughs> they, they, they're punished, as it were, with the ultimate, the extremity of the spiritual punishments by not allowing to become part of the Jewish people through marriage. And therefore, why? What did they do wrong? What did they do wrong? The answer is, they saw this nation coming out of Egypt, this nation which had been miraculously saved, this nation that was living on a level which was far above nature, and there's a way of responding, of relating to that type of greatness. And they should have expressed their honor to this type of people by offering them 
drink, food. It's, it's, it's not what in giving them needs. It's an expression of how they should relate to them because of their elevated status. And because they did not, they're excluded. Now, it wasn't like seemingly such a major thing. But the, and when were they told? Who said to them, you have to give honor to people that go through this? Where did they know that from? The other example that Rav Avraham Grzynski brings is the generation of the flood. They were punished for theft. So let's say that theft was a commandment they had, but they were also punished for what's called Hashchosas Zera, for the... Hashchosas Zera. So what was they... What, what is Hashchosas Zera? Hashchosas Zera was... It was that they literally were destroyed their seed as it were they weren't interested in procreation and that was, that was one of the reasons why they were punished that's why the the water that that the flood was brought down with was actually boiling water they sinned with the boiling desire they were punished with boiling water it means that they that they <laughs> that they <laughs> It means that they, they wasted their <laughs> seed. So, but who, who told them that they couldn't? No one told them they couldn't, yet they were punished for it. So you see that there's a theme, a recurrent theme, that seemingly a person's held responsible for actions that he was never told not to do. How is that possible? So what Rabbi Avram Grzynski concludes, based on the introduction of Reb Nisim Gon to Masech Brochus and the introduction to the Hall of Shas, is he bases himself on the fact that a person is born with an intuitive morality. An intuitive, as it were, guide that can sense right and wrong to a certain degree. There is a complementary guide which is known as the Torah which adds in facets which weren't humanly possible to conceive of. But the essential morality, the bare bones of good and evil are implanted deep inside our human psyche. We do not need to learn them. We are them. All of us. Even Canadians. Chidush. <laughs> so, which seems something which, again, that's, that's the presentation, but we obviously have to try and understand that, and it seems very far-fetched in our current reality. It seems far-fetched, because the, the Rabbeinu Nisim Gon goes on, and he says, the things which are categorized under the intuitive morality are not only to extend kindness, to other people, but also to um, let's see where it says it. Oh, but also the chiyuvim, the obligations of the oneness of Hashem and the prohibition against idolatry. Worshipping idols is something that we can come to from our own intuitive morality. The notion of a creator is something we can come to through our own intuitive morality. These are things which you don't need to be taught. These are things that you know because you're a human being. That's what Reb Nisim Gaon suggests. And he says, the things that we are not 
um, able to fathom from my intuitive morality are what are called the chukim the fact that you shouldn't mix meat and milk the fact that you can't interbreed animals the, these, these kind of completely counterintuitive or non-intuitive mitzvahs those are the things which the Torah has taught us to inform us of but there's a gigantic component of Torah which is based on the very reality of our default setting as human beings now when you think about this con- concept a little bit more if you're acknowledging the existence of a soul it's almost imperative that one has to suggest that there's some level of intuitive morality within because if you present the person the human being as having a spiritual component to him so it must mean that there's a part of him which is a type of spiritual navigation device that can sense there is a soul that can sense a spiritually harmful something which damaging just as we have a physical instinct that steers us away from physical danger and this of course one would suggest that the soul is so disconnected from the person's being that it has absolutely no impact on his living which would be a strange thing to suggest would make for me very little sense that a person would be created with a godly soul and that soul would have absolutely no bearing connection or relevance to this present world it would seem odd wouldn't it yes right absolutely absolutely in other words I'm not trying to justify the Jewish belief I'm trying to say that if we subscribe to the Jewish belief then the following would be a natural consequence if you don't subscribe to the Jewish belief so then you can counter the entire notion of the spiritual side of man of course you can you can say that a man is just an evolutionary result of millions and millions of years of monkeys becoming more advanced which, which, which is fine it carries with it many many different philosophical issues and problems for the way we process life being an advanced monkey but it has certain advantages for example excelling at sports would be a good thing if you're an advanced monkey so then you can be even more advanced if you become a good runner then if you run extremely fast you can almost run as fast as an average dog <laughs> if you're really good if you're really really good and if you're super super fit you can run as, as fast as a buck wow what an amazing thing you can do <laughs> if you're a very good at acrobat you can be almost as good as a very like barely talented monkey <laughs> yes yes and then you can be like almost as good as a monkey yeah, that, that's that kind of a, isn't that isn't that a loss for those evolutionary theorists? It comes out that the mice you lost out a lot by becoming human. <laughs> you are not good at jumping from tree to tree. Look at you now. You break your branches. You clumsy oaf. What happened to the tail? Uh, it's a fascinating. No. Yeah, I mean we could do a lot with the tail. You know what I'm saying? Especially getting onto Israeli buses. <laughs> to avoid, the, for avoid the need for overcrowding. Like, you just have all the short people like hanging from the rails. <laughs> uh, we lost out. Oh, gosh. Did we take off the pause button? <coughs> anyway, back to the serious ways. Now! Non-Jews also can sense spirit? Absolutely, completely. On the, on the contrary, Amalek we're held responsible for not having Yerasalakim or Avashem or Avashem it's ridiculous but there was a tiny against them so therefore we see that there's a notion of intuitive morality so now what obviously would be the ideal is if we could somehow have a living experience of seeing this inside of ourselves because it's fine to discuss theory and if we're sitting amongst believers 
so that's all well and good but even if you're a believer even if you're a believer even if you're a believer even if you're a be- even if you're a believer you still have to you still have to have a the, the, the more the more tangible your the more experiential your belief system is the better off you are the more it's just this theory this the sense of it says so in the book and therefore it's very weak if it's experience but I know I, I can feel that intuitive morality guiding me so that would be far uh, that would be advantageous so let's go a little bit further in the Torah of Ram and see what he says So the choice of Romeo, uh, were you here when we gave the introduction to who he was, uh, the Meshkir in Slabotka? Yeah, so he hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so Klaus Yodava, he ends up by saying, Zoe Teres Adam, this is the, the nature of man. Anything that you can comprehend, conceptualize by the use of this intuitive morality which he calls Seichel you're obligated to do it and you're held responsible and punished if you transgress it and then he says a further chidush the more logical it is the more evident it is in terms of yourself the more the more binding it becomes So therefore, it comes out that this creates a completely different vision of man. And the first point of difference, and this is going to be fascinating, since Seichel, this ability to, through the use of your mind and understanding, to fathom and to grasp onto what the world's all about, since that part, that's part and parcel of what you have to do, it's not just some type of apparatus for assimilating information, rather it's a tool to accumulate information to inform your actions and to guide you in the path of life. Therefore, since that's something that you have to do, a person as a human being, not Jew, not non-Jew, as a human being, you have a moral obligation to be in a perpetual state of learning, understanding, gaining new knowledge and delving into the depths of life because that will give you new insight of how you have to deal with the very things that confront you as you go through life for example in your nature of responsibility within a relationship how you have to behave towards a spouse towards a friend towards a neighbor these are things which can only be fully developed through the power of Seichel investigation, of understanding yourself, understanding others, understanding the power of the dynamic of the relationship. And as you become more sophisticated, you become more empowered. As you become more empowered, you become more responsible. As you become more responsible, you become a greater individual. Therefore, the Gemara in Nadorim says a strange thing, but it's now perhaps we can understand it in light of the following discussion. When I say the following, obviously I mean <laughs> <laughs> as well as the previous. And that is, the Gemara says, Ain oni When we describe poverty, 
when we describe poverty so one would think that the poverty means a lack or a deficiency of a given thing and is generally understood in the material sense a person who is poor is a person that lacks physical possessions contrasted to this a zokain which literally is translated often as an old person the Gemara says is really a wise person and it's a nutrikun it's a contraction of two words Zokain stands for the one that's acquired wisdom the Stiplegon says but that's three words it's not Zoknach it's Zokain where's the Chochma so the answer to why a Zokin is called Zeshekon Chochma and why ain't Oni Elebedeya that a poor person is a poor person is poor in his mind is really the same answer Zeshekon Chochma really the Nutrikon is Zeshekon the one that acquires but the truth is the only acquisition that's truly ours is our wisdom is our understanding is our perception is our advancement of self that becomes mine anything else which I acquire is not totally integrated to myself and can be taken away from me my chokhmah is me Mimela, if we describing a person as a Zesh in truth the only true acquisition we can have is Chochmah and therefore it makes sense that Zesh is Zesh Ekonah similarly the only true lacking we can have the only true lacking is the lacking in Daeth because then we lack fundamentally in terms of ourself anything else is an apparent lacking it's not a true lacking and therefore a person can be completely material wealthy and be an absolutely poverty-stricken individual and a person can be completely poverty-stricken and be one of the richest men in the world in the true sense because he is rich which is another important aspect which is clarified by the mission in Pekka Aves but perhaps we'll leave that for another time and we'll um, draw this session to a close and continue Mir Hashem at a future opportunity.